I got an email from a friend of mine from Michigan. Michigan looks like this much of the winter. Uh, I remember there was one year we got 130 inches of snow. We lived near um, Lake Michigan, and so you got lake effect uh, depending on uh, how the weather patterns worked and that kind of thing. But you, you'd always get 80 or 90 inches. It was just kind of, you just kind of learned to deal with it. And so this guy sent me a, this story about a guy who, he woke up one morning, his wife's car was snowed in, that kind of happens. And so he took the time to, you have to dig out around it, you have to dig out in front of it, you have to get them to the road. Usually the roads are scraped, unlike here, it's a little different because they have a lot of trucks running. And depending on where you lived, you could kind of get out and move around pretty good. So he had done all the things he was supposed to do. He had, had shoveled out around the, the car and in front of the car, and it was still a little bit stuck, so he pushed her. And if you know anything about snow and how you drive in snow, once you get going, you don't stop to thank the person for pushing. You know, you just go. You go on. So uh, he pushed her, and, and she went on, and about two or three miles down the road, she starts hearing a noise under the car. And she gets uh, kind of concerned. And so she calls her husband, and, and <laughs> he answers the phone, and she says, oh, thank goodness, I thought you were under the car. And he, there's this long pause, and he says, well, it kind of bothers me that you didn't stop. You know, it's like, uh, so um, sometimes we don't know exactly what to do, and we just do whatever we want to. Well, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments the next few weeks. Now, before you roll your eyes and before you get kind of crazy about it, let me tell you this. It is this, it's probably the most comprehensive, simple, um, wonderful guide to life that's ever been written. And so, for me, if I don't know how to do something, I, I go to YouTube. I have a, I have a buddy named Paul and... Um, I went to Paul's house a, a couple years ago, and, and Paul had a carburetor on the kitchen table and his laptop, and he was trying to figure out how to rebuild his carburetor on the kitchen table. I'm sure his wife loved that. But uh, for the most part, you can get a YouTube to figure out anything, but maybe not life always. The Ten Commandments are... It, it's this guide that God gave to people to learn how to be free. And that seems a bit counterintuitive, but let me explain. Rules help us live freely. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you're driving, there are rules to the road, right? There are rules. Elise, my daughter, who played keys today, Elise is learning how to drive, and we go over rules. And then we, we also go over, okay, this is, here's the situation. Let's figure out how to manage this situation. Now, Imagine how difficult it would be if you got to a four-way stop and there wasn't a rule around who goes first. Who goes first at a four-way stop? First on the right. That's right. If all four people get there at the same time, who goes first? Whoever's most aggressive. That's right. Okay, so there's a rule. A rule around all this stuff, right? So imagine how, how crazy it would be if there weren't rules for driving. It, it would be horrible. What, what about... Rules of ownership. What if you weren't allowed to own something? So anybody could just take it. We, we like rules because they, they free us. They, they really free us up. Uh, let me give you one more. When I buy a gallon of gasoline at this gas station, it's the same, same amount 
Because at that gas station and that gas station, there are rules around weights and measures. They help us to live free. And so I don't have to, you know, carry a scale with me every place to figure out if I buy a pound of, you know, uh, pork and beans that it's a pound here and it's the same size there. I don't have to measure it myself because there is a rule around that. It's, it's good to have rules. Uh, in your HOA, that's a bad example. Uh, so, uh, but rules help you live free. So you're talking about former slaves... These people have come out of 430 years of slavery and they really don't know how to live free. So God gives them this wonderfully simple yet incredibly understandable set of rules. And we're going to talk about that the next few weeks. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 20. And before God gives the rules, he sort of says, okay, here's, here's the foundation for the rules. And, he's, and God spoke all these words, and he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And it's, by the way, uh, the, the, the Hebrews never called this the Ten Commandments. They called it the Ten Words. In fact, in English it's translated the Decalogue. Deca, ten years is a decade. Deca means ten. Logos means words, and so the Hebrews would call these the ten words. Now, they're not just words, not one word, but it's this ten sort of parts, uh, this ten rules for life. It's really, really, really simple, which I like. And he starts with this truth. I am the Lord your God. It's really important that he starts here. Um, Vince Lombardi, this great football coach who... Won um, the, the NFL title, the Super Bowl, a, a couple of times, I think. Uh, Lombardi, every year at training camp, first day of football practice, he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And he would kind of begin with the basics. And God begins with the basics because that's what they needed. They don't know, the, the Hebrews know nothing of freedom. They really know nothing of God. Uh, understand. The reason they ended up in Egypt is because they were fleeing a famine in Israel. And this one family goes to Egypt and they expand and they stay there because there's food. And because there's a, a guy named Joseph who's kind of in charge and he's also Hebrew. But he dies off and then the Egyptians kind of forget about him. And, and now all of a sudden they find themselves in, enslaved. And for 430 years they don't have songs around their faith because they've not been free they don't have stories around their faith because they've not been free they don't have scripture around their faith because they've not been free and so for 430 years they're they're captive and so god begins with the basics now in egypt where they've lived for these hundreds of years there are a multitude of gods there's a god of the sun there's a god of the nile there's a god of the land there's a god of the livestock everything has a god and so the lord is clarifying hey gentlemen here is a football uh, i am the lord your god he wants to start with the basics and then he says i'm the one who brought you out of egypt and he's basically saying you didn't do it yourself uh, those gods from egypt didn't do it for you i'm the one who did it uh, to help you now Men, if you don't remember this, 
Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Super important. I'm going to help you here. All right? Um, I think the, the, the irony of the next two days is, is, uh, is incredible. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Super Bowl Sunday. Um, when guys watch football too much, their, their, their wives are called what? Football widows, right? So this is almost like the resurrection. You, you got the death of football season and tomorrow the birth, rebirth of love. You know, it's kind of uh, so, uh, how it works. Uh, somebody was asking me some advice to, this morning about where to take their wife for Valentine's dinner. And I, I, ha- I do have a suggestion. I'm your pastor. I'm, I'm here to help you. Uh, if you like surf and turf, because I know that's kind of a thing, surf and turf, I, I want you to note, uh, just up the road, uh, there, there's a, a restaurant that serves delicious fish and chips and also hamburgers. Long John Silver's and uh, A&W. Uh, so uh, that's an option for you. Uh, Miriam said no, but it might be good for you, so, just so you know. Now, when I look for a card for Valentine's Day, for me, less is more. I don't mean that, well, money, uh, and words. Uh, I, I want the least words possible. I, I really do. Because I would rather write my uh, affection than have somebody else write it. Um, and so when I'm looking for a card, I look for cards with the least amount of words. It's just kind of how it works. And I saw something the other day. I like these. I'm not going to get these. But I thought, you know, you, you might like them. So I thought I would share a couple with you. Um, I don't dislike you. I, I think that's, that's clever. I like that. Um, you know, I think you're okay and stuff, don't you? I, I like that one. Hey, Jonathan, do you like these? Yeah, these seem, these seem good for you. I, I thought, hey, Jonathan probably like these. Being with you is preferable to being alone. I think that's nice. Good. I think there's one more. Yeah, one more. I don't mind spending prolonged amount of time around you. So, is it, so when, you're, when you're thinking about Valentine's, um, you're thinking about, okay, I want to get something that expresses my affection. The beauty of the Ten Commandments is how and my first point is this, how elegantly simple they are. I want you to think about something. The Gettysburg Address, the, one of the greatest presidents, perhaps the greatest president who ever lived, Abraham Lincoln. Does anybody know where he was born? Kentucky, that's right. Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Uh, I've been to his house. It's about as big as uh, this table. Um, he was born in Kentucky, and then he moved to Illinois, and they claim him. But anyway, he's from Kentucky. And you know, the Gettysburg Address begins, um, you know, four score and seven years ago, um, our forefathers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, It's a great, great speech. The Gettysburg Address has 286 words. It's beautifully, elegantly simple. The Declaration of Independence that establishes our freedoms as Americans, 1,300 words. It's it's beautifully, it's simply elegant. Um, The Ten Commandments, 179 words. It's, it's, it's elegantly simple. Jesus' explanation of the Ten Commandments, he kind of condensed it into two. His uh, retelling of the Ten Commandments, 40 words. There's something to be said for brevity. Do you all know? <laughs> Just take a guess. The U.S. government on regulation of, ga- of cabbage sales. You'd like to know how long that document is. 
It is 26,911 words. So just because that is a lot of words doesn't mean it has a lot of weight. And so the Ten Commandments are elegantly simple. Just really... Look, they're so simple. Thou shalt not steal. Who, Who couldn't understand that? If you're four, you get that. If you're... 104, you get that. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, thou shalt not steal. Is It's just simple and true and, and wonderful. Um, I, I love the way these are written. It, it's typically not interpretation that, that trips us up. It's application that trips us up. Uh, Mark Twain, he was kind of a, a... He had a little snarky to him, and I like that about him. Uh, Mark Twain, one time, had this... There was this sort of unscrupulous businessman he knew, and this guy said, Hey, uh, Mark Twain, when, when, when I uh, retire, I'm going to go to Israel. I'm going to climb Mount Sinai, and I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. And Twain, in his snarky way, said, Well, uh, I have a better idea. Why don't you just stay in Boston and try to live them? Yeah, that would be uh, even better. And so it's not so much... How do I understand what the Ten Commandments mean? Because really, they're pretty simple, frankly. They're wonderfully simple. The Ten Commandments are given to us to help us live free. That's that's the beauty of them. And and they're kind of these universal biblical principles that they have no expiration date. Now, some of the law from the the Old Testament, some of it was uh, just for that culture, but this is moral law that does not change. Moral law just doesn't change. And so uh, uh, one guy said, hey, it was written on stone to talk about its durability. It was written on both sides to talk about its thoroughness. And it was written by the finger of God to talk about its authority. It's, uh, these are all symbols of the Ten Commandments and what they mean. Second point is this. They're not a path to salvation. One of the greatest misconceptions in all of the world, especially around Christianity, is that if I can keep the Ten Commandments, I will be saved. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, if you keep the Ten Commandments, you'll be saved. In fact, Jesus encountered a young man, we know him uh, as the rich young ruler, who Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments, and this guy says... uh, from my youth, I've kept these. From my youth, I've kept these. And Jesus says, okay, one more thing you need to do. Go sell your possessions, give to the poor. Because this guy had uh, s- something else in his life that was greater than God. We'll talk about these things in a couple of weeks. So it's not so much keeping these Ten Commandments. In fact, it is not a path to salvation. In fact, the only person that ever did this perfectly was a man you may have heard of him, his name was Jesus. He did this perfectly, but nobody else can do it. In fact, there's a guy named Paul, and Paul says this, there's no one righteous, not even one, including himself. And in fact, he says this, I would not have known what sin was if it hadn't been for the law. The, the, the law reveals to us where we fall short. All right, so for about six, seven months, I've had a little... Uh, pain in my left knee. My right knee, I had a, a scope on that a couple years ago, and that feels great. My left knee started hurting me a little bit when I walked, and so I eventually, you know, men kind of put stuff off, and I put it off for a while, but then I eventually made it a, an appointment with an orthopedist, 
And I go in, and the first thing they do is take an x-ray of my knee. It's kind of painless, which I liked. And then I go into the consultation room with my doctor. My doctor is nine years old. I swear to you, I have never seen a guy look so young in all his life. But uh, seemed to be really, really sharp. And, and my, my doctor comes in, and he says, uh, Mr. Vest, you have arthritis in your left knee. Now, you have options to deal with your arthritis. I wouldn't have known I had arthritis without the x-ray, okay? It's really important. You, you have options, he says. You can ignore it. <laughs> okay. Um, I can give you some pills. I like pills. Uh, I'm okay with pills. I can give you a cortisone shot with a needle that's as long as a harpoon. And eventually, I, I like this about the guy, eventually you're traveling down the road and we're going to have to replace that knee. In fact, we're going to have to replace them both. Uh, it's kind of what he told me. Uh, eventually, we don't have to do it today. Uh, we don't need to like, have the uh, uh, in-office knee transplant. Uh, we don't do that today. Uh, but I can give you the shot if you'd like. <laughs> I opted for the pills. But anyway, um, this verse kind of reminds me of that. Okay, I didn't know the problem until I took an x-ray. For me, the Ten Commandments kind of function a little bit like uh, my, uh, an x-ray for my soul. It reveals to me where I'm falling short, where I need to do better, what's going on in my life. The, the, the Ten Commandments help me see myself more clearly. Uh, somebody explained it this way, kind of two kinds of laws. There's the law of the stop sign and the law of the fire. And they explained it like this, and I thought it was brilliant. The law of the stop sign is this. You live in a city and somebody, maybe it's your city council or I think that's who make these decisions, decides that that particular intersection needs a stop sign. Uh, before it was something else, but now it's a new road and we're going to need a stop sign there. It's not so busy that we need a traffic light, we need a stop sign. Somebody makes that determination. And the stop sign is there and it's placed there and you, you have a fine if you run through the stop sign. So the stop sign is there. You're supposed to stop. If you don't stop and you run the stop sign, it costs you $50 or $250. Somebody determines that as well. And, and let's say traffic patterns change. They build a bypass and now you don't need a stop sign. See, it's, it's arbitrary. Some council someplace makes decisions about this. And so they can say, okay, well now we don't need the stop sign there. Or <clears throat> where that was a $250 fine, now it's only going to be a $50 fine, or you know, something like that. They can change. It's a moving target, if you will. Or they build a different road, or they can take that road out. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen to that stop sign. It's the law of the stop sign is, it all deter it's determined by the council to tell you how to live it. There's a group that kind of determines. And then there's the law of the fire. The law of fire says this, if I stick my hand in fire, I will get burned. It happens every time. Now, there could be a summit of all the world leaders. Uh, the world leaders from everywhere could come together and they could have a summit and they could determine, all right, so we determine that fire no longer burns you. Well, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, some arbitrary group doesn't determine that fire burns you or not. It, it is immutable. It is an unchanging law that... Fire burns you. That's just how it works. It's how it works before. It's how it works after. It's how it works 
every time. There are two kinds of laws. I heard about a lady, her name was Sabine Moreau. Uh, Sometimes we need somebody to help us know where we are. She lived in Belgium, and she was going to go visit her friend in Brussels, 90 miles away, and she put an address in her GPS. She just put the wrong address. And instead of ending up in Brussels, she ended up in Croatia. So the 90-mile trip ended up being, that's like you and me going, heading to Columbia and ending up in Dallas. I mean, it's a long way off. Sometimes we know where we want to go, but we just need some help getting there. The Ten Commandments give us the help to get there. Um, This is a guy named Blaise Pascal, a fine-looking fellow, by the way. He lived in 1623 to 1662. He didn't live very long. Guy was brilliant. When he was 12 years old, he, he um, discovered the principles of geometry. When he was 12 years old. When he was 16, he wrote a book called The Geometry of Conics. That means cones, right? When I'm 16 years old, I'm reading comics. It's not even the same, right? He invented something called the calculating machine. You may have heard of those. He invented the theory of probability. He, he was... Uh, a, a massive intellect. And, and when he got to be in his late teens, he began to think through um, spiritual things like, like life and philosophy. He was a great philosopher too. And he writes these words, I think they're really interesting. He said, within each of us, there is a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. There, there's something that every one of us is looking for in life And it's God. See, I grew up in a really traditional church. And we had sort of rules around how do you show how um, righteous you are. Kind of righteousness scale, right? We had um, Christmas morning and Easter Christians. We had most every Sunday Christians. We had Sunday morning and Sunday school Christians, even better. We had Sunday morning and Sunday school and Sunday night Christians. That was us. We had Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night. And y'all remember what Sunday school at night was called? Training union. That was us. There's a bonus. Wednesday night prayer meeting, so you have Sunday school, Sunday morning, training union, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I mean there was this scale, and you knew to tithe, and you knew what, you knew to help little old ladies across the street, we didn't get that opportunity very much, but you, you knew if you saw a little old lady, you help her across the street, and when you were young, we were taught, you don't cuss, and you don't chew, and you don't go out with girls that do, you know, stuff like that. We had all these rules, and we felt as if we, if we adhered to the rules, we'd be closer to God. It's kind of how we thought about life. The problem is this, in James, I love it, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of all of it. It's like, well, good grief. I'm not going to ask for a mass confession, but I'm fairly certain we've all stumbled at at least one point. So we need someone to help us push past just the law. It's not enough to save us. 
because we're not good enough to do it. It's okay. Which leads me to a third point. We're the Big Ten, the Big Ten are they're rooted in relationship. You yourselves have seen, God says, what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenants, this is the big word in this text, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Covenant is a different sort of word. It's a relationship word. I can be in a contract and not have a relationship. Uh, we do it all the time. When you sell a house, you sign a contract. You, you don't sign a covenant. Because I'm not in a relationship with the person that buys my house. And I'm not in a relationship with the person whose house I buy. I can sign a contract to buy a car. I'm not in a relationship with the person that I buy the car from. Nor am I in a relationship with the person to whom I sell my car. Uh, but in a covenant, there's relationship. That's like a, a wedding vow. I make a, I make a covenant I don't sign a contract when I get married. I make a covenant. For better or for worse, rich or poor, sickness and health. I make a relational agreement based on my affection for that person. God gives us the Ten Commandments. Here's what's really interesting about the Ten Commandments. God gave them, or is giving them to the people. He's giving them to Moses on Mount Sinai. And while he's giving them to them, down in the valley, they're already breaking them. He, he hadn't even gotten them yet, and they're breaking the commandments. And so, Moses gets mad <laughs> and breaks them. You've seen the movie. Uh, uh, I think that's actual footage. Uh, he breaks them, and then he goes back up and he gets them again. Because in a covenant, you don't break relationship. We, we, we might not follow the rules, we might make a mistake, we might sin intentionally, and yet God, because we're in relationship, chooses to forgive us. Here's what's really interesting. Moses did come down with the Ten Commandments and say, okay guys, if you, if you follow these, God will deliver you out of Egypt. <laughs> he delivered and then gave the commandments. He delivered first... And then commandments. Hey, I, I love you. Now let's have a covenant together, right? I'm going to express my love for you first by delivering you. And, and now I'm going to give you some rules on how to be free and how you live. It's deliverance and then commandments. One last thing about the ten, Big Ten. They move our faith from the abstract to the actual. From the abstract to the actual. In a 2017 Gallup poll, 87% of Americans said they believed this statement. Um, do you believe in God? 87% said they believe in God. The Ten Commandments allow us to demonstrate our belief. I believe in this relationship that I have with God, and I'm going to do the things that God wants me to do. Let me, let me show you something. He said, I am the Lord. He's speaking to individuals. Your God, who brought you out of Egypt. And so, uh, if I wanted to run through all the names of everyone in here, I could. Hey, uh, this is for you. This is for you. This is for you. You shall have no other gods before me. A, a lot of the problems in life is we'll say things like, well, it's not my responsibility. 
Well, the Ten Commandments say it is your responsibility because how we live as individuals affects how we live as a group. If, if, if all of us obey uh, the road laws, it's better. If all of us obey the weights and measure laws, it's better. It's just better. It's freeing. And so God is saying, hey, all of you, it's, it's all of our responsibility to do what God has called you to do. And, and so the first four commandments are about our relationship with God. The last six are about our, our relationship with one another. Jesus said this, the most important one, he was asked, hey, what's the most important commandment? And he said this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He did not separate them. There is a love God peace, but there's also a love your neighbor peace. This is sort of the umbrella of the Ten Commandments. We, we do this because it's good for everybody. And honestly, the question is, can I overcome my natural tendency to love myself first? Because we have a natural tendency to love ourselves first. Let, let me end with this story. A, a couple of years ago, CNN had this story on their website about a, a, a couple of guys who had just written a book. One was, let me get his name, um, uh, Lex Bayer. He is an executive at Airbnb. And the other guy is John Figdor. He was a chaplain at Stanford, but an atheist, which is kind of weird if you think about it. And, and so their premise, well, this, let me just read part of the article to you. It begins like this. What if instead of climbing Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, Moses had turned to the Israelites and asked, hey, what do you guys think we should do? Um, this whole notion of what do you guys think you should do is called crowdsourcing. You ask the people what they think. And, and then they go on. Considering the Hebrews' bad behavior in the Bible, what with the coveting of neighbors' wives and murdering of one's brothers, that might have been the disastrous idea. But, this is their premise, in our more enlightened age, we are perfectly capable of crowdsourcing our own commandments. And so they did. They had this poll where they crowdsourced uh, uh, the commandments. They had a judge of 13 people to make a determination what, what are going to be in the... They called them the non-commandments. The book they wrote is called Atheist Heart, Humanist Mind. And they published these, they're called the non-commandments. Which is really interesting because they read like commandments. See, to use the word command, it sounds very commandish. Uh, and so they, they want to make sure it's a non-command, but, but listen to their Ten Commandments. This is what they crowdsourced. Be open-minded and be willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. Strive to understand what is most likely to be true, not what you wish to be true. The scientific method, number three, is the most reliable way to understand the natural world. Every person has the right to control their own body. God is not necessary to be a good person or to live a full and meaningful life. Be mindful of the consequences of all your actions and recognize that you must take responsibility for them. Treat others as you would want them to treat you. You heard that before? I don't know, God ain't Jesus, maybe. We have the responsibility to consider others, including future generations. There is no one right way to live. Leave the world a better place than you found it. 
So they call them the non-commandments, but in there is <laughs> the golden rule, which is from Jesus. And, and then they say, out of one corner of the, one side of their mouth, um, they say um, things like, there's no, there's no one right way to live, but then on the other side of their mouth they say, leave the world a better place, take responsibility. Well, okay, that's a command. I mean, it, it is, it's obviously contrary to one another those are kind of indefensible and i know what they were trying to do was to generate a little bit of buzz about their book but listen to what uh, mr bayer says he says um, humans are hardwired for compassion it's not true and the scientific method and wisdom of crowds. L listen, I, I, if I hadn't read it myself, I would have not believed anybody would say this. The tribes that gather online each day will weed out bad ideas. Has he ever been online? I mean, have you ever been online? Uh, the, the people I look at, it's like a Petri dish for bad ideas. I mean, they're, they're out there everywhere. Uh, I, I think the, naive, uh, the, the naivete is... Uh, off the charts, to, to say, hey, I'm going to let the internet solve all my problems is about like saying, hey, I'm going to let Jack the Ripper walk me home at night. I mean, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, really interesting story. The, the British government, they're going to crowdsource. Okay, they, Everybody thinks this is the way to go. Let's get the opinion of the people. They're going to crowdsource the name of a new uh, vessel. They, it's a $250 million polar exploration vessel. And so they don't have a name for it. So they open it up to, uh, to a poll, or at least to suggestions. And they say, let's name it something like, they give them some examples. Let's name it, you know, uh, Endeavor. Or um, they, they had a guy, uh, he, his name was Shackleton. Let's name it the Shackleton, you know, uh, something that he was a great explorer. Let's name it something, uh, you know, like the Enterprise, you know, something like that. Um, I would love for you to guess at what the British people wanted to name this $250 million polar uh, exploration vessel. Does anybody have, have you read this article? Because this is great. No, that's awesome though. <laughs> Gary, I'm going to use that next service. Way to go. They wanted to name it. In fact, this was the overwhelming number one choice. Bodie McBoatface. That's what they wanted to name the boat. Uh, the British government decided not to name it Bodie McBoatface. Uh, but this, this is, it, it just sort of illustrates the, the silliness. Well, well, let's crowdsource life. The, the final question is this. Who am I going to trust to guide my life? Am I going to trust the polls? Am I going to trust crowdsourcing? Or, as God said, I am the Lord, your God. Um, he is for us. Uh, he instructs us. He wants us to be free. And therefore, he's giving us these instructions. Hey, if you want to be free, this is the way to live. Uh, that's the real question. So for the next 10 weeks, we're going to take them one at a time. We're going to kind of slow walk through the Ten Commandments because each one has a depth that you, 
we may not have noticed before. I hope we can. I hope we can kind of unpack it a little bit differently than it's ever been unpacked. And you can see it in a way that maybe you've never seen it before. But the real question is, who do I trust to guide my life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the Decalogue, your ten words that guide us and free us. Help us, Lord, to be responsive to them and to do the things you've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.